Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Now, here's your host, Brian Moran. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Moran. My guest today, Shelby Scarborough, author, speaker, and entrepreneur, and a good friend of mine, and someone that I have a tremendous amount of respect for. Uh, Shelby has two books out right now, uh, Civility Rules and Undaunted, which we will discuss on our program, and a new company called the Global School of Entrepreneurship, which sounds like an incredible learning opportunity for entrepreneurs. So I'm excited to dive right in, and I want to welcome to the Small Business Edge podcast, Shelby Scarborough. Brian, it's always great to see you and to hear you. <laughs> yes, yes, likewise. And uh, I'm excited. You, you know, I've always known you to be busy and engaged and kind of having your fingers on the pulse of everything that seems to be happening. I feel like you've almost taken it to a new level with, uh, you know, as everybody kind of slowed down during the pandemic and said, OK, you know, let's do a reset. You said, no, I'm going to I'm going to publish one book and then I'll publish a second book and then I'm going to launch a new company. What <laughs> what gives? <laughs> well, you know, you got to make good use of your time while you're here on Earth. And we had this uh, interesting um gap year called COVID. And so it actually just helped me push a few things that would been in the pipeline over the finish line. And, and so for that, I, you know, I mean, I try to look at the upside of whatever and, and we've had, and so there've been many downsides to COVID, but for me, that was, those were some of the upsides. I've heard that from a number of people who I consider to be very successful is that they saw COVID as an opportunity to not, not necessarily to do a reset, but to really um, bring home some of the programs that were kind of put on back burners. So it sounds like that's what you did. Exactly. I just, I, without being able to travel, which is, was part of my MO for so many years. Um, I just filled that time with, uh, catching up on a lot of things and getting them done, which felt pretty good actually. Yeah. Oh, I bet. I bet. Um, I want to take us back a little bit, my listeners, cause you've had an incredibly successful and exciting career so far. Um, you started, you, you started your career in the white house, right. As a member of president Reagan's advanced team. And I want to talk about, we're going to talk about civility rules. I want to talk about you, you know, being in the audience, right. For the Reagan Gorbachev Moscow summit. So yes. we'll talk about that. And then you went on to serve, uh, as a protocol officer at the department of state, right. I did. Uh, and then, and then in 1990, you started practical protocol and do, in doing my research for our podcast today, I heard that your first two clients were Nelson Mandela and Pope John Paul II. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So take us through a little bit of that early career, Reagan, State Department, practical protocol. Sure. I, well, I blame it all on the fact that I don't like salami. And that's that's sort of the sum total of everything. Um, way back when, when that's I was a T-shirt, by the way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. I blame it all on salami. Um, the I was a, a volunteer for the 1984 political convention, re renominating Ronald Reagan, and one of you know 2,000 youth volunteers, and was painting signs and doing whatever youth volunteers do, mainly painting signs. Mm -hmm. And they uh, handed out these salami sandwiches, and I couldn't. I don't like salami, and they were disgusting sandwiches. And so instead of uh, 
eating, sitting there and, and I didn't know anybody. So, and I was rather shy. And so sitting there, instead of sitting there and just sort of, you know, with my thumb in my mouth or something, I, I got on the other side of the table and started handing out the salami sandwiches to other people um, and got to know the leadership. And little did I know that that was going to be um, so pivotal to everything. And so it, it taught me a lesson when I look back about just jumping in and, um, and taking initiative and, um, you know, just ask, just joining in. And so I ended up uh, very shortly thereafter on the inaugural committee for President Reagan. And then right from that into the, his White House and presidential advance, um, able to travel around the world with him and set up his events with a team. I mean, it wasn't me. I was 22 years old, right? So it's not yeah. like I was you know, saving the world, but I was part of a team that was, um, you know, doing it, pretty big stuff for young people and had a, a fair amount of responsibility when you look back on it. Um, and it was just, it was a magical time in many ways. And from there, I went to the state department um, in, in the Reagan administration still, and took the other side of the, of the uh, coin there um, for all the visitors to the white house, all the foreign visitors, the heads of state, Kings, Queens, prime ministers and foreign ministers. So we, you know, it was a heady time and uh, you had to learn wow. both to be confident and competent and humble and put your ego aside and, you know, be know what's behind the scenes and be behind the scenes and not in front of the camera, but help other people look good in their world. That's incredible. That's incredible. It's an incredible opportunity for someone so young. Yeah, it was, uh, I was, I, I didn't always appreciate it. I tried to along the way, but I got, I got, you know, sort of, uh, um, knocked in the head a few times to make me realize how much, how rare, what rarefied air it was, you know, and, and, and learn to appreciate it as I went. So, because you're so busy doing, you know, we were working so hard mm -hmm. yeah. and uh, it was my first job. I knew nothing, very little else, you know, I'd worked in my parents' restaurants and that was about it. So right, it was a right. amazing, amazing time. And then you pivoted uh, to opening up your own business, becoming an entrepreneur. I did. I was sort of born into entrepreneurism with my parents. They, uh, my parents started a business when I was 15. They, they opened Burger King restaurants. And so I helped open them. I helped, you know, sweep the floor. I was the, the drive-through person, whatever, you name it. Mm -hmm. I know how to make a lot of really good hamburgers. And uh, my dad is the best French fry maker you'll ever know. Um, but, you know, he taught me a lot about um, excellence versus perfection um, in that regard, because, you know, if you want to scale, you can't do every job yourself all the time. Right. Um, that was a really good early lesson, even though I haven't learned it all these years later uh, that I still need to learn about delegation. Um, and, you know, and then I started my business because I, and I, it was what I knew how to do. What do I knew how to do? I wanted to start a business and be on my own, but what was it I knew how to do? And that was handle dignitaries. And, so um, a friend of mine who was, I had just started my business and a friend of mine who was um, a national security advisor, he was executive secretary at the White House in the um, National Security Council. And uh, he, he knew that uh, Nelson Mandela was coming to town because he was going to be coming to the White House. And this was right after Nelson Mandela was let out of prison. This wasn't mm -hmm. while he was president. It was very early on. And um, they, the group that was organizing his visit called him and said, can you recommend anybody to handle the White House, the State Department, Capitol Hill, those kind of, you know, event venues? And he recommended me. And so that was the beginning. That was my first client. It's almost like you became a, like an accidental entrepreneur. Had you already yeah. started your company? 
before? Yes, I had. Okay. Yes. Okay. I just okay. hadn't. I had. I had done my my very 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 first client was the funeral of my boss from Protocol. Her her husband passed away. Uh, Lucky Roosevelt's husband passed away, and I went and helped um, voluntarily as my sort of my first experience in, in my business. And then right after that came Nelson Mandela. And Pope John Paul II. And Pope John Paul II. Yeah. That's a pretty good. That's a pretty good list of clients right there. Um, so in your career, then you and, and it sounds like in your upbringing, civility was an integral part of what you saw as successful outcomes. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I talk about. Um, with my parents, I, I mean, I used to talk about things like, you know, from Burger King to the Queen of England, it's all the same to me. It's uh, it's it's definitely about um, custom. I mean, you can translate it all sorts of different terminology for all sorts of industries. Customer service is a really good way to put it. Um, it, it, it civility in sales is customer service, right? So mm-hmm. civility in general was about recognizing the needs of of your client and. Um, being able to step back and put your own ego behind you and and to work towards that and and sticking to your principles for sure, not letting your principles go just because a client wanted something you didn't have to do something that wasn't ethical or you didn't feel good about, but to be able to to show them grace and um, grace under pressure and kindness and just keep cool. And when people are yelling at you because they're stressed, because these kind of events are very stressful for people, especially if they've never encountered it before. So to be able to step back and just be the calming voice, that was all kind of skill sets that help. And in my mind, fall under the category of civility. The book came out during the pandemic, and it's more needed now today than ever. So is it was it just luck and timing that the pandemic hit when it did and your book came out? And the reason I say that is because I feel like the world's been turned upside down and the way we do business and the way we communicate with each other and the cancel culture in our society right now. And um, I, I feel like we're not I think everybody's being uh, tested, right, mm-hmm. mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Um, I think, you know, for something that was supposed to last two weeks, it's now going into its, you know, third year um, is is really testing us and, and our ability to have civil discourse. So I know you must have been working on the book for a while, but did you see it as, OK, here's an opportunity for us to get back on track? Yeah. And, and right. Mixed in with all that was political discourse that was just so off the rails. And so um, I had been working on this book off and on for a number of years. It really started almost 10 years ago when I wrote a chapter for a book called the power of civility. And they had asked me if I wanted to write a chapter on political civility or international civility. And I had spent all my professional life in a sense in the international realm, which I really enjoyed, but I thought I would kind of explore the political civility realm. So the chapter was on political civility and the end game of the chapter, kind of the lesson I learned when I researched back and I talked to a lot of different people in the, for the chapter um, was that that civility in some ways had never really existed in politics, that it was kind of an oxymoron. But, you know, and, and we think it's so bad now. It is bad. It's verbally bad now. But they used to throw you know, throw tomatoes at people. Mudslinging <laughs> is the, you know, was a real thing. It's not yeah. just a phrase. Yeah. So we, we, uh, you know, we, 
we don't know because we weren't there, but it it was kind of brutal, even back in Abraham Lincoln's time. You know, I mean, he he was a political animal in a lot of ways. And, and I admire him for so many things, but it was pretty brutal politically. So you had to be a survivor if you wanted to get through it. So as a result, I thought, you know, this whole chapter could be a whole book. And then mm-hmm. um, then it kind of expanded from there. So coming. But I did do a push to come out at the time I came out, which was November, 2020, had to have the book be published right before the election. I really pushed hard to get it done before the election because I felt like that was a timely um, entry into the market where people might need to be reminded a little bit um, about what we were really trying to accomplish in this world. And the incivility I found, I know that from a partisan standpoint, the incivility was always the other party. and, and, but it's just, uh, you know, I'm using I'm, my pointing at each other is that every, it's like a circular shoot, shooting ring is we just yeah. keep shooting at each other and it's ridiculous. And so it takes two to tango. Totally. And if you listen, if you listen to the rhetoric on both sides, both sides are at fault. Right. And I just refuse to accept that one, there's one who is, it's always, well, I'm this way because of you. Well, this, I mean, when we get like that, that sounds like, you know, I'm sure you've heard your kids squabbling and that you've heard that excuse. No, I yeah. didn't do it. It's his fault. And it's just, it's juvenile. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, John Wooden had a great quote, uh, quote, the uh, legendary basketball coach. Um, only, yeah, you, that's right. <laughs> UCLA. There you go. And that was not staged by the way, but he's, <laughs> He's one of my I admire him tremendously for his work ethic, his outlook on life. Uh, He said, when dealing with an issue, don't fix blame, fix the problem. Right. Right. It doesn't matter. Like, like who's at fault? All we know is we have to fix whatever's in front of us. And I and I and I think that's lost. I want to I want to quote something that you said. Um, You wrote that uh, civility is actually the cornerstone of a functioning society. Correct. And and it just seems like no one addresses that anymore. Like, no, no you don't it, you, you don't see it in business. You don't see it in our schools. You don't see it in our politics. Definitely. Um, yes. Where where is it? I, I, I see it in individuals, I guess. I, st- I see it in 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 dealings like I see it in random acts of kindness mm-hmm. and I see it in one on one situations, but I'm not seeing it a whole lot from leadership in any segment of our society or economy. Why is that? I think that there's clickbait. I think that unfortunately, a lot of our social media and the current rhetoric, the things that make people act are the negatives. And that's really sad to me. I mean, we, we, but think how much we're motivated when we see these nice memes and things on, on, um, on social media, on the news, et cetera, and how good they make us feel. Well, the same happens when we see nasty things about people and when we see warring things. So we get these dopamine hits and it's, it's real. And we just, we just don't really feel it that way, but we get inside, there's a chemical reaction that happens with us that we're motivated one way or the other, that, that either brings up happy feelings or angry feelings and those kinds of things. And so the, what's happening now is the polarization and in social media and, and the, and television and all of those kinds of things in the news uh, or the lack of news, the, the, the more commentary, et cetera, is that we are, we are 
triggered, literally triggered. And I actually don't really like that word because I think it's overused um, in society as an excuse for not being, having to behave yourself, you know, somebody blaming that goes back to the blame it, blame somebody else for, for your own life. Right. But, and it's overused, you know, it's certainly a, a, something that we can, that exists for people, but it's way overused and improperly used. And so, but in, in effect, we have this biological chemical reaction to this kind of stuff. So if we start to understand that, then maybe we can pull back and work on our own behavior to help put out positive vibes into society rather than negative yes. ones. That's the next topic I want to cover. But I do want to read the, the chapters, just the, uh, the chapter titles for civility uh, rules, which I highly recommend people read. Well, it, it's all based on George Washington's rules of civility. So you do, right? You know, George Washington, can you help us? It's reminds <laughs> me of that. Where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you talk about the power of civility, personal responsibility, which I want to get to. Then you have chapters on courtesy, humility, empathy, trust, respect, and honor. And then, and then uh, you go into my practice of civility. Personal responsibility. I, I have long embraced um, kind of self-awareness and, and what's my role in the universe. And so I think of, of uh, people like Thich Nhat Hanh, right, mm -hmm. who talks about mindful awareness. You know, when you're washing the dishes, wash the dishes, be in the moment. And I think part of the breakdown in civility today is that people's personal platforms and their lives have been so disrupted that, you know, it's it's like the saying in, in the, uh, you know, when you're on the plane, put your own oxygen mask on first before you help somebody else. Mm -hmm. So how how can people do that? How is that? Is that a, is that your next book on, on <laughs> self-awareness and and kind of learning to be civil in a uncivil society? Yes, um, it it really st starts with you know there's three eyes in the word civility and um, while I while I have a uh, a problem with um, every sentence beginning with I um, and and most of my world is about the other uh, it's it it does start with us it starts with ourselves as far as how we can change this world because if you think about it you can't really change anybody else's behavior and then again you can. Yes. Through your own example, but they have to buy into it. They have to want to do it. They have to learn by doing, you know, we teach children um, how to behave in this world and how to show up in this world every single day um, in, in by how we behave. And so it's the do as I do not, as I say, kind of thing. And, you know, right. um, and so, but we need to watch what we say and what we do to be an example uh, for ourselves and for the rest of society you know, everybody's the, yeah, but yeah, but he did this. Yeah. But they, what about that? Well, it doesn't really matter because we can't control them. What we control is our reaction to them. And these are age old concepts. It's, it's fundamental communication. It's, it's learning to listen um, and listen to learn. And it is, it's about trying to really understand somebody else's perspective rather than trying to get our own in which is kind of ironic that I, I'm doing podcasts and things talking about this subject is there's so much of me talking about what 
we should do, but I don't like to should on, on people. <laughs> I, don't, I, I think <laughs> we, we shouldn't should on you. So it's a, right, it's, a, a right. it's an ironic position to be in because I basically am just trying to share a philosophy that I have. And I just felt the, the need to put it down and to explore it and put it out there in the world. And if somebody wants to uh, adopt it that for themselves, and that's really, that would be a high compliment, but I can't tell anybody else what to do. And little things like a starting sentences with, I believe. In fact, I said something earlier, you said something and I said, correct. Well, in my world, it's correct, right? The, the, whatever I said was correct is in my world, that's correct. Very few things in this world are black and white, even dare I say science. Right. And so to to be so hard down on certain things when we're none of us are experts and very few of us are experts in any one thing. So to be able to say, I believe this and own that belief mm-hmm. is fine. Um, but to say you should think this way is a whole different thing. Right. Right. And respect, so- respect differences, respect mm-hmm. people's beliefs. And, you know, that's that's the question, you know, can civility and, and mindfulness, you know, this is what I believe. That's what you believe. Can they operate together in the world? Yes. In fact, um, I just did a seminar in Omaha, Nebraska for a bunch of entrepreneurs. And all of the exercises in the seminar are based on neurobiology. So mindfulness, if you can talk about it as um, emotional intelligence development, mm-hmm. the more yeah. we there's there's lots of ways to there's lots of modalities to approach this from. And most of it has to do with learning about yourself and being conscious of how, how we present ourselves to the world to in every instance. So um, I had something happen yesterday that didn't go exactly right. And, and my colleague was like, I'm so sorry, this didn't work out right. I said, that's okay. I'm, I mean, I, now I can listen to the state of the union. It's fine. I'm fine. And she said, I can't, I can't believe you're not upset. And, you know, and I thought, what's the point? You know, there's very few things that really are worth us just getting completely unglued about and save our energy for those things. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) It, it's, it's seeing the big picture. Like, if I, so uh, another book I reference, uh, uh, and and I probably will reference civility r- rules almost as much now. But is uh, Victor Frankl's "Man's Search for Meaning"? Yes. Uh, in that, you know, he talks about what is the meaning of your life, mm-hmm. and and so whatever happened to you last night, you know, you say, okay, well, that might have taken me off course for about a millisecond, mm-hmm. but you know, it's still I'm still on the path to to whatever the meaning is for my life mm-hmm. and, and everything that happens along the way helps get you to where you want to go. Ultimately the good, the bad, the ugly. Exactly. And embracing those ugly moments because they are our moments of growth. Uh, if it's yeah. easy, first of all, if it was, if this was easy, if any of this was easy, everybody would be doing it. And clearly we've got a challenge there. So it's not, I recognize that it's actually not easy to be civil all the time and nor is it, a requirement every moment of the day. I think that there are places, safe places where, uh, you know, I have a couple of friends that I can talk to and I can say, I'm so glad that I can just unload and just, you know, I can let loose the uncivil side of me and I know it doesn't go anywhere and I can just sort of, you know, get it off my chest kind of thing. And I don't have to rephrase everything I say or be careful about because I want, I want to have people, I feel the freedom of speech. We, this is a big part of what I'm, 
what I'm really exploring in this book is that free speech is crucial. Oh, yeah. And, and if the more that we suppress speech because we don't like what we're hearing is is really, really a problem for our democracy and for democracy around the world. And, and so I tie these two things together because to, to me, our freedom and, and just look at the Ukraine as a good example right now mm-hmm. at, at Ukraine. It's just it's what somebody wanted to come in and just take them over and they need free speech. We need to get the message out there. The people of Soviet Union, of Russia, listen to me. I'm in my Soviet era. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, can't, I can't let go of that, I guess. Yeah. Um, that it, the people of Russia are getting the wrong information. Who knows? It's, it's very complicated times. And we need to really parse that information for ourselves and take a look at what's really happening in the world and understand it for what it is and try to process it that way instead of having judgment on it. And I, I have plenty of judgment. <laughs> and so yeah. but step back and say, how does this get this way? And how can we be a part of a solution? And how can we bring civility to society? Look at what's happening in Poland and the surrounding countries in, in Ukraine that are ex- helping people. I love the stories of people putting clothes and water and food and baby st- st- uh, carriages and things on the at the train station to be taken back into Ukraine. That's an act of civility. Yes. But that's about looking at how they can be a part of community and, and being an integral part, an inter- twined part of our common humanity here that that those are the random acts of kindness that that we were talking about earlier where you see it and it and it it gives you hope you know Absolutely. for the future like that's you just see that and you go okay you know and then pay it forward you know that like it's like those tv commercials you know you know one random act of kindness leads to another leads to another leads to another um yeah. okay and and I, I definitely want to talk more about this. So I, I want to have you back on because there's so much to be talked about with civility rules and with, you know, understanding that it come, you know, it starts with you. It starts with me. You know, what St. Francis of Assisi said, let there be, uh, what do he say? Let there be change in the world and let it begin with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I love that. That's a whole mantra for me. The, the idea that, you know, there's when when somebody feels like, you know, there's so much going on in the world and they feel hopeless, just do something for somebody, you know, yes, yes. And, and it will make you feel better. And, and for our listeners out there, many of you who own your own companies, you know, look to your employees and, and how do you make them feel better? Maybe sometimes maybe it's just listening. Now, sometimes it's allowing somebody to vent and their frustrations and you give them a hug and you know what? Suddenly they feel a whole lot better. Um, but that's that's we'll get into that. I, I, I have so much more I want to talk to you about, but I love where you went with uh, civility rules. Um, let's talk about this global school of entrepreneurship, which I am insanely excited about. Um, I think it, I think it's such a great idea now. This is um, uh, to, to kind of set it up. These are cohorts, right? Eight to 10 students or so. Yes. It's 50 weeks a year, um, one, uh, two hours a week, right? With a, with a dedicated professor and some, some visiting experts and whatnot. T- tell us a little bit more about the Global School of Entrepreneurship and how it got started and where you are now with it. Yes, well, we were looking, a, a group of us were looking to help uh, the entrepreneurs organization um, with some new ideas for 
the organization and new outlets for entrepreneurs in education because we felt that uh, entrepreneurial education was you know there's a it's getting it's growing entrepreneurial education specific to entrepreneurs is growing um is a growing industry in all sorts of different areas but accredited education um is slim and so it ended up that they weren't ready to launch it because the pandemic hit and they had to focus on the organization which made to- so much sense but we said you know this is ready to go do you mind if we launch it. And they said, nope, be our guest. So uh, we launched last year and we've got um, we're, we've got some good momentum going. We've got a full cohort that has been going since October. We graduate our very first one-on-one MBA. We have an MBA My Way program, which is a one-on-one MBA wow. with a professor. Um, and, and that student graduates this week, this Friday. <laughs> Wow. We're actually having a graduation ceremony. We're having a strategy summit with key um, key stakeholders in Houston this week. And so we're going, they don't know this yet, but they are going to experience a graduation ceremony with our professor and our first student. And then um, our first cohort, which I'm a part of, I decided to take my own course, our own courses and get, get an MBA through our, through our school. Uh, we graduate our first class in October of this or December of this year. So it's um it's very exciting. We start our next cohort in April, and I think one of the neatest things is that we're it's a, I call it a new way to MBA. It's a place for entrepreneurs to be able to work on their business while they're working in their business, and use the 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 um, structure of an academic um, education and, and and a degree you know working towards a degree to keep us focused on our mission and really help us sort through some of the things we need to do to scale our business mm-hmm. appropriately and to share those experiences with our cohorts. Um, in a way that I found some of the other more traditional institutions don't really do, which, um, you know, they use case studies and things which are great because those are story-based. So people remember stories better, Mm -hmm. but then we talk about the story most of the time and not our own experiences. And so what we try to do is bring in personal experiences within the cohort to share because most, a lot of people have experienced it especially the first cohort are quite experienced entrepreneurs. One of our students has two MBAs already and he just, he wanted to do this. He was, he wants to open up all of Latin America for the global school of entrepreneurship. He's from Colombia and he's a lifelong learner and just wanted the experience of this kind of an, uh, of an MBA. So it's not, you don't you can have an MBA and still do this. It's a different learning experience. So the, the cohorts are truly global. The people are. are, are joining from all over the world. Yes. And some of our logistic challenges are how do we do our cohort meeting Zoom calls when we have a lot of different time time zones. So, <laughs> yeah, well, that's a nice problem to have. Yes. Right. I mean, if that's <laughs> yeah. your biggest problem, how do people get more information about your global school of entrepreneurship? They can go to gse.mba, which I love. I love the name dot MBA. There's not many of those. Everybody wants yeah. to go to dot but it's .mba. GSE.mba. Uh, it's pretty easy. And if I wish I'd thought of that when I named my company Practical Protocol a million years ago before the internet. <laughs> so right. I Practical Protocol a billion times. GSE.mba is a lot easier to type. I love so. it. I love it. You know, when I was thinking about that, and you and I have talked about the, the Global School of Entrepreneurship in the past, I'm going to throw something out to my listeners because I think this is such an incredible opportunity. I know that we have uh, some venture capitalists who listen to us, private equity and investors. Think about sponsoring your some of your companies that you invest in 
to me, that's like an insurance policy on your investment into their company. Say, okay, I'm going to put this money into your company, but you know what? I want you to uh, take, you know, uh, 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 enter the global school of entrepreneurship, because I know that if you use part of the money deployed by getting a better education, that is, uh, you know, solidifies your foundation and it makes for a better investment. So all over that. The other thing I would say is a sponsored uh, cohort class. I love that idea. And that's where, uh, you know, you get a, a large company, financial services, telecom, credit card, business services, where they say, you know, we want to sponsor a class and you have eight to 10 spots in the class and uh, entrepreneurs would compete for a okay. seat in the class. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the judging could be you, could be other professors, could be the, the sponsor. And uh, what, a, what a tremendous opportunity that is for people who typically couldn't afford the class to do it, but who have great ideas and would really benefit from it. Exactly. I think it's a, that's a perfect place for corporate America to intersect with entrepreneurs and to help grow them. You know, I know FedEx has a grant program right now for entrepreneurs. There's a lot of energy around um, helping entrepreneurs, especially uh, women, especially those of color and lots of lots of niches around the world, uh, different industries, et cetera, to help entrepreneurs get started. And I'm excited to grow this business. My partners are amazing. And I and that's what's most fun for me, probably, is uh, a, entrepreneurship can be a lonely business. Mm-hmm. And uh, even if you have a lot of staff or things, usually the person at the top of the rung you know, has a, a fair weight on their back with uh, with responsibility for those people, with responsibility for ultimate, the buck stops with them ultimately. And so it can be kind of lonely, but this venture that I'm embarked on for the Global School of Entrepreneurship is growing a business as well as growing entrepreneurs. And, mm-hmm. um, and my partners in this are just, they just make me so happy every day. You know, I think at this time, the Global School of Entrepreneurship, why it's so important is because we're in uncharted territory, right? With the inflation, with COVID, with the labor issues, with supply chain, with so many factors uh, wreaking havoc on businesses. There are so many paths to choose. How great is it that you get the opportunity to network with like-minded business owners from around the world Yes, and, and, and discuss the what ifs. Well, what if this happens? Oh, I would do this, this, or this. And it's almost like creating, I call it a GPS plan that mm-hmm. says, you know, all right, so here's where you want to be at the end of the year. Um, here are all of the things that could happen. Here's your response to those things. You, you have such a greater chance of success. So this is when getting into a cohort really benefits the the entrepreneur in the long run because of all of the mistakes that they they're going to avoid. Yes, exactly. Uh, the program of the cohort is called Mastermind to MBA. And that's really the concept of it is these this group gets together and they learn from each other as much as they learn from the professor and from the readings and from this. Uh, we have distinguished guest lecturers of which you need to be one. And we have, so having all of those outlets and really building that community and the tight um, 
connection between the entrepreneurs in the program and between the entrepreneurs in, in other cohorts as we grow. So it's exciting where we're going with this. There's so yeah. much enthusiasm around it. And I'm just, I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to offer this program and have people, I kind of call it an incidental MBA because think of it as a mastermind group, you know, yeah. for a year. And at the end you get an MBA. What a, what a bonus. <laughs> you know? I, I, I hope they all get copies of civility rules. <laughs> they do actually. Good. We, have, Good. we have a course on uh, workplace civility and how to, how to, uh, how to enhance workplace civility and, and be a part of the solution for, for uh, incivility in the workplace. Yeah, that's a competitive advantage, you know, civility, diversity, taking the high road in business. People don't see it that way, but 100%, if you can, if you can act in that way and lead in that way, only good things can happen to your company. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's www.gse.mba. GSE.mba. Okay. We're coming into the home stretch of our podcast. And I do want to talk about a great new book that came out that you wrote, I think with your cousins, did you write it? We, we hired a writer to take okay. my cousins, my sisters and I uh-huh. formed a company. Called, of course we did called, uh-huh. Cloud, course. called Cloud Country, which refer, references um, my grandfather's a, a series of little books that he wrote many years ago. But the story is about my grandfather. And we hired a, a writer whose name is Bill Simpson to um, take my grandfather's autobiography and diaries and write them into a cohesive story as, as, but he's a novel writer. And we, we hired him as a novel writer intentionally because we wanted it to read like the adventure story that it is and mm-hmm. not a strict biography. And so it's, it's, it's just an amazing story of the first aviator to attempt to fly solo around the world. And that was my grandfather, Jimmy Mattern. So we're the book it is just called came Undaunted. Out, Undaunted. And it's the uh, it, it launched on Amazon on 2222 about 2 p.m. So <laughs> I think hopefully that's all uh, an auspicious moment for us. And yes, sales are already going well just by a little bit of, uh, you know, Facebook and LinkedIn posts from all of the cousins and the sisters and everything. So it's it's pretty exciting. But his story is I intend to use that as a class as uh, for the Global School of Entrepreneurship too, because um, just like Shackleton, if you remember Shackleton who had, who explored the South, uh, the Antarctica, yeah, um, his story is of both uh, you know just all sorts of aspects of it. My grandfather's story is one of perseverance, adventure, entrepreneurship, marketeering, um, innovation, being a futurist, uh, you know, all sort. you just can't even imagine all of the twists and turns in his life story. What and year did he try to fly around the world? 1933. 1933. Yeah. Fly yeah. solo yeah. around the world. Yeah. In, in basically, literally a matchbox, you know, basically balsa wood with, with, material around it and a propeller and an engine and uh, an altimeter, which told you how high you were flying. Yeah. And that's about it. And so no radio, nothing. And you had to be, you know, see to your pants. You had to know what you were doing. And so flying across the Atlantic, you know, Lindbergh had done that in, back in the late twenties and 28, I think. So that had already been done, but it right. still wasn't an easy trip. Right. Uh, right. You know, very few people had done it afterwards. In fact, I think my grandfather was the first one to do it after solo after him 
so he has, it's just quite a story uh, of adventure and failure and picking yourself up again and starting again and pivoting. And I mean, just all of the business terminology that you could imagine it's, it's there, even though this is, this is like a Ludlam novel, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting it today. I can get it on Amazon today. Get it on Amazon. Yes. And it's mm-hmm. called Undaunted. Undaunted, the the extraordinary story of the first aviator to attempt a solo flight around the world. I love Has it. a big, handsome picture of his beautiful, rustic mug on there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what? It's I, Entrepreneurs love to hear stories like that. You know, the big hags, right? The big, hairy, audacious goal. That's what we all try to do every, you know, every year. We set these incredible goals up for ourselves, and then we try and go out and hit them or exceed them. And, you know, it's great to hear other people's stories and uh, get inspired by it. So I'm definitely ordering a copy for myself. I'll probably order a couple of copies for some people who I think would love to read it as well. Thank you. That would be very appreciated. Yeah, We covered a lot today. Wow. We covered your great career, right? In, In the White House with Reagan. We covered Civility Rules, which is a book I highly recommend you buy um, and, and, and understand your role in the universe and the importance of being civil, even to people who are uncivil to you. Yes, especially to to those people. The Global School of Entrepreneurship is very exciting. Mm GSE.mba. And uh, I think uh, venture capitalists, private equities, anybody who's an investor in a company should be looking at it for your companies. I want to see a uh, one of my companies that listens to me sponsor a cohort class. I think that's a great idea. And uh, I want to learn. I want to hear more about it. I want to hear the where are they now? So we're <laughs> going to do this a couple of years. And I want to hear about where the companies are that have taken your cohorts. And then lastly, Undaunted, the story of Jimmy Mattern, who attempted to fly solo around the world. He didn't make it, but he came pretty close. Right. He came pretty close. His good friend, Wiley Post, is the one that the world knows as the first man to fly solo around the world. And it happened within days of my grandfather's um, attempt. But if you look back on it, if you read the story and I don't want to, you know, be a a plot blower here. But spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Yeah. If you read the story that his his journey was much more interesting and exciting in the long run. And it would have been nice for my grandfather to have had the title first to fly solo around the world, but that's, that's all anybody remembers Wiley post for. And what we want to, what we want to show is that the journey is just as important and how we overcome things is, is as important. Absolutely. Absolutely. So go back. So go out. So go to Amazon today and order two books, order civility rules and order undaunted, and then go check out gse.mba. You, I need to hire you. Thank you so much. <laughs> no. Hey, oh, I, I spent 35 minutes talking about it. You're the one who does all of these things. So I get tired just listening. <laughs> Me too. Yes, <laughs> I had to take yes. a nap yesterday. I got so overwhelmed. <laughs> all right. Shelby, thank you so much. Thank you thank so you. much for, for being on our podcast and sharing your insights and, uh, and making the world a better place in the process. Well, and Brian, I'm always so grateful to you for being so enthusiastic about the things that I'm doing. We met, I don't know, 15 years ago yeah, through the entrepreneur at least, and uh, yeah, maybe 20. And and uh, and I've I've just admired your work ever you know ever since. And I'm glad we've been able to stay in touch all these years. Likewise. So I'm going to have you on again. I'm going to figure out you know the rotation, and I'm going to get you back on this year for part two of our conversation. Thank you so much.
Shelby, uh, everyone, you've been listening to the Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran. Our guest today was Shelby Scarborough. Go check out uh, all of the good things that we talked about today. Uh, buy her books. Check out her Global School of Entrepreneurship and give us your feedback. You know, we love that feedback. So whether it's an email to me or you visit us on social media, uh, keep the suggestions coming, the comments coming, and uh, let us know how we can help you in your business. That's it for today. Join us next week for another edition of the Small Business Edge podcast and have a great day today. Take care. You've been listening to the Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Please visit our website, smallbusinessedge.com, for a listing of future podcasts.